0: And welcome to 9 to 42, the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK. Join us for interviews, updates and chat with artists, influencers and those that manufacture the gear that we love. Hello and welcome to Nine to Forty Two, which is the podcast from the guys at the Guitar Show UK. And it must be warm in Jace's house because he's back to wearing Breton T shirts. Jace, it's November. I know, but I got home about
1: forty five minutes ago and it was freezing so I stuck the heating on. It's lovely and toasty in here now. Right.
0: Right. It's lovely and toasty. Yeah. Okay. We'll gloss over that, shall we? Uh, and for those that are concerned, because I know a lot of you will be, I I've had just had my COVID, my covid booster. All done. Perfect. I managed Excellent. to get away without anaphylactic shock. So, so far, we'll we'll catch up with you tomorrow and see how you're feeling, eh? <laughs> yeah, let's record a special episode tomorrow. Um <laughs> We've we've got Paul Sayer with us, uh, and, and Paul Sayer um, of the Temperance Movement uh, in his in his loft because he should be in his basement, but his basement's got a man in. Uh, hi, Paul. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Well, apart from me, me you know, my COVID update, I'm absolutely fine. I'm right. absolutely fine. Any side effects? I, I don't know. Or? I mean, I think you live you're living this with me in real time. <laughs> let's let's. Let, I'll give you a check in about 15 minutes. See how right. we've got. See, see see how we've uh, we've got on. Uh, first question, really, just 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 the basic one, um, which we kind of ask everybody as we start. Um, how's your pandemic been? I know that's quite a big period of time now, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, pretty rough from a work
2: point of view. Yeah. Obviously, <coughs> um, I was actually on tour when it hit, so um, I was just a couple of weeks into what was meant to be. A few months of touring. Right. So um, kind of came home from that unexpectedly. How far um, had you
0: gone? Uh, Were you still in in this country?
2: No, we'd done the UK dates and then we went to France and that's when there was kind of some rumblings that something might be happening. And then the French dates we managed to get through because they were kind of slowly lowering the capacity limit and just by chance it kind of we were doing the smaller french shows later in that mm. in that run so we managed to scrape through those and then we went to germany and um i think the german government said um that you know no no shows over 5000 people but it took a while for each um because germany's quite federal still yeah it took a yeah. while for all the states to kind of implement it because they were you know they then locally ha- had to implement it so we got through I don't know four of the shows or something like that and then um yeah and then at four o'clock one day the tour manager walked in the dressing room and said we're going home and we got on the oh. bus and we came home and I was umming and ahhing about whether to leave my shoes on the tour or not, because I thought, <laughs> well, we'll be back in a couple of weeks, and I don't know if I want to carry my shoes home with me. <laughs> so, um, but I did, luckily, take them. So, yeah, um, it could have been worse, because at least I have my shoes with me, I suppose.
1: Well, yeah.
2: <laughs> Wherever
0: you lay your shoes. Yeah. Anyway,
1: <laughs> so
2: other than that, it's been, um, you
0: know, some DIY. And hanging out with the kids,
1: mm.
0: which so you- let's face it, we've all got kids. There's a time limit on how long you can do that for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, about a fortnight. But <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, it's I think the data came out this week, didn't it? That um, was it. Something like fifty-five to sixty percent of the creative arts sector was on furlough mm-hmm. the whole way through. That was it, which is a ridiculously high. Almost
2: everybody I know that works in any creative space is freelance. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know if that figure factors those people in. I, I don't it well,
0: can't do, can it? Because no. So, many people so weren't I would able to claim. guess it's
2: much, much higher than that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I kind of, when it, when it first hit, there was kind of quite a flurry of activity from people that I think were trying to use the time to be really productive. So I was playing on quite a lot of stuff at home Mm. for people and, you know, sending it backwards and forwards to producers and whatnot. But that actually kind of, um, that seemed to run out of steam quite quickly because I think, you know, the modern music industry, um, it's so driven by live now um, that, once it was clear that this wasn't going to be over after six months, I think people kind of just maybe lost direction a bit because they made a load of music and, but then they couldn't really do much with it because do you want to put an album out and not be able to go on tour? Um, you know, so there was kind of a flow of activity to start with, but I think everybody, um, kind of, lost momentum a bit and i I kind of i was chatting with one of my friends who's a really great drummer and um i was sort of saying there's only so much practice or stuff at home on your own that you can do because you know it's like it's like a footballer going and kicking a football against a wall for 18 months it's it's not really a it's not really a solo pursuit no. making music
0: no no, and, and to your and you know, and to your point that I mean if you've got a reason to to record a load of material, to, to, to you know, to do one even two pieces of work because you've got a touring schedule that's already sorted that you know you can do and then suddenly you can actually release an album, tour it and have another one ready to go and then tour that one because that's where the that's where the money's coming from. Mm-hmm. But with with no real end in sight, because obviously, first at the beginning, we all thought what three months, didn't we? We all thought, ora, yeah, ora. exactly. You know, it's going to be done by the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but but like you say, there's with without without that financial outlet. You know, I mean, okay, if if you if you're edge here and fine, you can make money out of just having some content. But if you if you need to tool to make the cash, then like yeah, saying, like, and
2: and and also, I think that. Um, what most people get most excited about is getting in a, either going on tour and playing to audiences and being on stage with other musicians or being in studios with other musicians Yeah. or, you know, I mean, I, pandemic or no pandemic, I can and do record at home, but I would always way, way rather go into the studio and sort of be face to face with, whoever i'm working with you know producer artist whatever that's kind of like the fun bit Hmm. or the most fun bit so i think um as well as kind of from a sort of strategic point of view it started to not make much sense also like quite hard to motivate people when they can't really see how and when then they're going to go and get to do
1: the the Parts of it that they love doing most. I don't know if you want to talk about the temperance movement, um, and where that is right yeah, we, now. Because, I mean, I'm, we can, we can. Um, I mean, it just because you know, I love those three albums, absolutely adore them. And I was kind of gutted when Phil left. And I'm assuming that would have been in the middle of the pandemic at some point, can't
2: quite um, remember now. It was actually kind of slightly before, right? Um, and to be honest with you, it was sort of unravelling before that. Mm. Um, although I didn't know that Phil was going to leave, I also cannot say that I was in any way surprised. Yeah. Um, and um, it kind of felt like it was going to come to a head in some way or another. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um And that's the way it it did, you know?
1: Yeah. Are there plans to carry on with a new singer or? Um, To be honest with
2: you, um, if... I'm kind of very open-minded about what, if anything, the temperance movement could be. Mm. Um, But I only want to do it if it really feels right. Yeah. I don't want to kind of um, put a square peg in a round hole just for the sake of keeping doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think it could kind of take... I mean, it sounds a bit cheesy, but, you know, th- the only reason to carry on with it in some way would be to make some really great music um and it would have to be kind of um related enough to whatever the sort of ethos of the temperance movement is to be able to call it the temperance movement yeah yeah um so i don't know um is the
1: honest is the honest answer There's two new albums coming out, isn't there? There's one sort of pre-Christmas and one sort of Mm post-Christmas. Is that a rounding out of everything that you've got left in the vault sort of thing?
2: To be totally honest with you, that's... um, Yeah, it's more come from the label. You know, Mm. it was their idea. And they've got, you know, material, various songs and covers and stuff. And um, they wanted to kind of consolidate it all. And... um, it's actually become a bit of a bigger thing than I realised it was going to be because I kind of thought that they were just going to essentially sort of group them together on on the sort of streaming platforms but they've um, you know they're 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 making some vinyl and stuff which is cool you know and if people want to hear it and it um, fans of the band are into it then great I,
1: I love the fact that you're doing a cassette, a purple cassette. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so, I've had a cassette player for twenty five years.
2: The, the funny thing is, we uh, in the early, early, early days of the band, we um, we got something like two hundred copies of the first record on cassette, which was <laughs> our our idea, yeah, uh, that we convinced the label to do because we thought, oh, this would be really cool. People will love this, and they were, they were only like a fiver or something on the merch desk, you know, we thought it'd be really cool. People love having these little, you know, and I think we've got about 197 of them left. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so we'll see how the cassette goes this time around. But I I have heard that um, people are into them now,
0: but like I say, we've been down that road before. (laughs) Statistically speaking, it's the fastest growing format, isn't it? But obviously it's going from a very, very low base.
2: Yeah, well, that's, you know, it's kind of like when... um, I love the fact that people are so into vinyl now. But when you hear all these, when you read all these headlines about, you know, vinyl has, um, it, you know, there's a, there's a tenfold increase in vinyl sales from two years ago. It kind of makes it sound like everyone's listening to music on vinyl again.
1: Mm. And it, you know, it's not. And it's, it's not. Th- it's someone, there was 30 sold. And now there's like a hundred sold. It's still a really small market, isn't it? Exactly.
2: I mean, you know, like we temperance movement. We, I think, our fans and in general, the type of people that are into that kind of music are much, probably proportionately much more likely to buy vinyl.
1: Yes, and and go to gigs and all
2: that kind of stuff. So, you know, which is great for us. And we always, you know, because we're we're fans of albums, we kind of always put a lot of time and effort into making sure that the records made sense Mm. as two sides of a record. Yeah. You know, Um, so it's nice that people um, get to kind of hear it that way, yeah, because we play with the track listing a lot, you know so yeah. so you could divide it properly um, but yeah, I think you know in other in other genres they're not shifting as much vinyl.
1: No
0: I find that whole topic of of track listing fascinating and and why I think it is particularly fascinating now that vinyl's back. Um and it, 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 the same argument for cassette really, but it doesn't make any difference. The cassette doesn't move the the needle. It was vinyl that did it. Was that suddenly you have two starts and two ends, mm-hmm. where, whereas on a CD you started an album and you finished an album and, and then you had what came in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and the track listing of the of the of the albums I grew up with in the eighties was very very specifically based around two sides of a of a of a record a cassette or an LP. Uh, and I think it's it's great because I think that throws an extra dynamic into the whole track listing thing. Uh, and it's yeah, I think been it's, something...
2: Well, and also, you know, I think a lot of um, people's default way of track listing of an album these days is to put the songs on in order of how successful you think they're going to be as singles. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, If you kind of care about the vinyl, whether it's from a purely sort of creative point of view or because you know that a lot of your fans like vinyl and are going to buy it and listen to it on that, it kind of forces you away from doing it that way um, and kind of um, makes you view it as a sort of complete thing and Hmm. body of work rather than just a list of songs three or four of which you're hoping to get on the radio, so you put those first.
1: Hmm. <laughs> yes. So um, the temperance movement go on hiatus, shall we say, mm-hmm. during lockdown. And um, it, the next time I see you, you're out with James Blunt. Mm-hmm. Have you? D- did you play with him before? Um,
2: I... Had done something with him. Um, I'm trying to think when it was. Um, Beginning of 2019, I think. Mm. I went away with him for two weeks because his guitar player couldn't do it. Um, And then when I said that I was away when the pandemic hit, I was away with James then. Mm.
1: Ah right yes that yes I was aware that that tour was going on because of yeah. the, the mutual Eric connection. Right. Um yeah, yeah. You know, I I sat next to Eric when he was trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. Yeah so I mean but as um I think you know some people know about the temperance movement we were kind of session musicians. Mm. Um that wanted to do our own thing so that's how i knew everyone in the band apart from phil was from playing for different artists and um we the, the the temperance movement wasn't really meant to become what it what it did we initially kind of just viewed it as kind of like a side project to have some fun play some music that we really wanted to play yeah um and it kind of quite quickly we realized that if we it could be more than that if we sort of put the work in and prioritized it so that's what we did yeah but um but yeah we we'd all done um sessiony things before it and and even during it to some extent you know I was still playing on the odd record and um doing a bit of live stuff here and there if I could fit it in um so you know it didn't kind of come totally out of the blue the James Blunt thing
1: assuming sort of like I don't know you're 18 20 something like that how how'd you get in how did you get into doing session work then
2: um well I mean, everybody has. There, there's no route into being a session musician. Do you know what I mean? It's kind. Of, yeah. Everyone that you ask will give you um, a completely different answer. Um, for me, the, the other thing is, it's hard to say what was my route in because it's a combination of things, and I and I'm not sure if you take certain things away would would I still have ended up being able to make a living from playing or not? I'm, it's hard to say which bits were the most key. Um, yeah. But I would say that um, probably the most important thing was that, um, you know, like as a kid and at school, I was always playing in bands. And um, there was... A kind of scene, I suppose, of people doing things. And I was just constantly getting involved in everything like anybody would. And um, there was a young kind of producer guy who was writing songs in his bedroom with various people. And one of the people that he was working with... Um, was a singer called David Jordan. And so I just went round to their place one, one day and um, played guitar on a load of songs that they'd been writing for them. And And um, David then, um, I don't really know how, but D- David got noticed by Trevor Horn, the producer. Yeah. Um, and ended up, um, signing a publishing deal with trevor's publishing company and trevor produced the album and for whatever reason i don't really know i got a call to to go and play on the record um as a result of having played on these demos which i think is complete kind of fluke you know because that it's i think you know it's very very rare that um someone who played on some demos in the bedroom would be called back yeah in that way but um and you know one thing kind of led to another and they um trevor asked me to to kind of I should say that at this point, I'm doing loads and loads of playing. I'm not like playing in my bedroom, you know. And suddenly Trevor <laughs> Horn calls, like I'm doing loads yeah. of stuff. But I'm probably I'm doing, um, I'm playing in co- in covers vans mainly, you know. Yeah. So I'm probably playing, you know, five nights a week with good musicians. Um, but I'm not pl- working for any sort of signed artists or producers or anything like that. And then um, I get involved with this thing with Trevor, and he asks me to um, arrange and MD a band for the album, and kind of again by fluke, I sort of ask around, and I and I booked some more established musicians to play the play on the record, yeah, who we were already doing cool things so I got to meet all these people um and not only that but I got to give them some work and it was playing on a record with Trevor Hall (laughs) so which I often you know because I've been in to do um sort of some some talks at college at music colleges and and stuff and it's something that I always try and sort of say to um the kids when I do these these talks is rather than and i I did it unwittingly really but you know rather than trying to rather than waiting for one of those kind of people to call you up out the blue and go and get involved with whatever it is that they're doing the the best way to go about it is to try and be the person providing work yeah um and you know if you've got a well-paid covers gig because everyone goes and does all sorts of stuff, and most musicians, you know, if they've got a bit of time off, and the money's okay, they'll go and they'll go and do whatever, really. Yeah. Um. So, I'm always saying to them, try and be the person that's d- dishing it out <laughs> rather than yeah begging for it. Yeah, and and you know, or it could be it doesn't have. to, it doesn't even have to be a well-paid thing, but people in general just want to get involved in stuff that they think's good. So you know, if you if you write a few decent songs and need someone to play on them, call up like the big boys, you know, and get them in.
1: Oh, and, you've, you've you've done it now. Uh, you'll be getting a call off me very soon.
2: Well, <laughs> I, I'm up for it. Um, <laughs> Awesome. I, th- I think I think sometimes people think that they sometimes people think that they can't call um you know well-known or renowned musicians or whatever to get involved in things but you can you know and they'll tell you what their sort of rate is and you'd either do it or you don't but e- even if you decide not to do it you've still kind of opened a relationship with them. You know? Yeah. And you can then sort of politely say, Thanks so much, you know, a bit out of my budget at the moment, or whatever it is. But you've but you've kind of sparked a bit of a relationship with them and you've gone to them as someone that um is being proactive, not as someone that just kinda of wants to tap into their world and what they've worked really hard at um developing.
1: Yeah, I was doing a bit of research earlier, and um, with regard to doing like session gigs and stuff, and I I came across the uh, Paul Sayer Appreciation Society Facebook group. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. the first question is how do you feel about that? But also on that, there was a picture of you, I think, playing for Barry Manilow.
2: Um, so the Appreciation Society is. Uh, run by a very nice lady called Valentina, who is a temperance movement fan, mm. and you know I I don't know whether it's a bit of a I, I'm not particularly um... what's the word like I I find kind of like the um... other people are much better at being self promoting on social media than I am. I I kind of struggle with it a bit. I could probably be a lot better at it, um. Mm. And so I kind of it, you know, I should. It's quite a British thing to be, you know, um. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, but you know, it's just it's really sweet. It's great. Um, I should probably try (laughs) and sort of engage with it a bit more. is what I'm saying, but yeah, it kind of feels weird. So I don't, um, but, um, and that's not because of anything they're doing. That's just cause that's just me kind of going, well, what, why? Um, but it's cool. And the thing with Barry Manilow, I'm to, t- to be honest with you, I've done loads and loads of things like that with people over the years. And, um, I'm struggling to even remember exactly what it was that we did. Mm. But I think he was just overdoing some promo or something and we played um two songs on one of the TV shows. It might have been um live from the Apollo maybe.
1: Yeah, the the photograph kind of looked like that.
2: It was definitely in one of those kind of theatre venues. Yeah. Um yeah and then I, th- oh, I think I think there maybe was a couple of days work with him we went then we then went and did some stuff the next day um some like breakfast tv or whatever but you know that that was a thing where he's coming over he needs a band it's not worth him bringing his band over you know to play two songs on a tv show mm. and um that that's where the kind of session um, fixer agent thing um, kind of comes into play. And there's a good friend of mine called Bob Knight who books musicians for a lot of those kind of things. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know what the backstory is, but as I assume that Bob would have got a call from the label or someone, and said we need. This, this, and this, and uh, he called me. But and he probably organises ten of those kind of things a week. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, and like I said, I've done kind of loads of those kind of things, and it's really cool. Uh, um, but I suppose I I don't really. Um, it it feels more rewarding when an artist particularly wants you. And they know you, mm. um, so I, I suppose I don't kind of like I'm not sort of like reveling in that and patting myself on the back because it's really nice that Bob called me, mm. you know, because he he will call people that he likes and thinks are good and is going to work, um, but but in that in that situation it's it's the fixer who is making a call on who who the musicians should be yeah and and you know a good a good fixer will will work w- well bec- because they you know they have a reputation for booking the right people
1: have you ever ended up working with someone that you really you know you're a fan of yourself i you know I, I don't know i mean i'm assuming that there's a there's i know there's a stones in the faces sort of thing is rod stewart ever you know, have you ever ended up playing for Rod or something like that?
2: Um do you know what, funnily enough, last night last night no- last night I um was at the Royal Variety show with mm. James. We were playing on that and Rod Stewart was on the bill as well. And I thought to myself, I'm glad I'm not doing that gig. <laughs> <laughs> um that's probably pretty out of order, but if you see if you see it, you'll know what I mean. Um <laughs> Uh I wasn't gonna watch it, but I'm gonna watch it now. <laughs> I I'm not sure if it will make the cut. Oh, right. <laughs> um I I played with Ray Davis for a bit. Oh wow. Um and that was pretty special. Um and you know, I guess the the, the I'm I'm a sort of big believer, even in just going and seeing bands. Um an artist and whoever, just as a fan, that kind of like the timing and where they are at in their sort of career is so important. Mm. You know, it the best experience you can have is seeing the right thing at the right time in the right place.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and
2: that's ve- and that's very, very rare. And and all and none of you know so few people have seen kind of like the legends in that way, you know. Because if you could mm-hmm. choose anywhere where you're going to see the Stones or the Kinks, yeah. you know, you'd want to see them, you know, late sixties in a club somewhere, yeah, you, you know, which none of us are ever going to get to do. Um, but the thing with Ray, which which was amazing, um, was to learn to play his songs, because he's such a kind of, he's just an unbelievable songwriter, and the craft that goes into his songs, um, it, you know, is right up there, um, but verses, and I'm a massive, massive Faces fan, but, you know, they're, that they're less about the songs, the Faces, and, and more about the sound of the band and
1: attitude if i could have joined any band in the world i'd have joined the faces because it just looked like they had so much fun
2: yeah that bbc um live performance they just looked like they're having the best time and and i agree yeah. i'd probably join the faces if i could if i had a time machine or whatever you know i'd probably join the faces over the kinks you know yeah but, but i think that um when i was playing with ray you know it it was a it was something that i could really get a lot out of because the songs still exist in the same way they did the day they were written and mm. to to really kind of like dedicate the time to go through his catalog and really listen to the records and and talk to him about it as i'm learning it and realize how sort of incredible um his songwriting is was pretty special and i think probably you know that in that instant that that was um that that was the the best thing about having that gig, right, more than actually playing the shows themselves. Yeah. you know, it's like the, sort of the opportunity to get that deeper understanding of his songwriting.
1: It's not very often you sit at the feet of like one of the all time master songwriters, is it? Really? I mean, no.
2: I, and, I, and like I say, I wasn't a massive Kinks or Ray Davis fan before I got the gig. Mm. So I think I hadn't kind of fully appreciated um, how great a songwriter he is. and And also what I kind of learned in that process is that one of the things that makes him such an amazing songwriter is that he makes kind of quite complex things sound so effortless mm.
1: um
2: and that you know some of his songs are very a pretty pretty complex harmonically but it, they don't sound like it when you're just listening as a listener mm. you know and so that's where you can kind of, and then when you start unpicking it you kind of um his sort of genius is is in making it so um listenable if that's the right
1: yeah yeah right word you know that's that's amazing if you can comp- if you compare
2: if you compare like sort of something like daydream believer
1: yeah um
2: or even actually lola that kind of sounds like I i bet you there's a lot of sort of um pub covers bands that have Set about covering Lola, thinking it's pretty much a twelve bar, Mm. and come unstuck very quickly because it's not. (laughs) But it sort of sounds like it. But it's there's way more going going on than that.
1: Um. So yeah, I'm going to dig that out this evening and have a listen to it because I haven't listened to Lola for quite a long long time. Like you say, I never really thought it was an overly complex song at all.
2: Yeah it it's i mean it's not it's not his most complex obviously but it's um it's very hard to just kind of like jam along to it
1: i think people in britain still think that ray davis is like a you know one of the one of the originators really that they never got mm. that worldwide recognition that the beatles and the stones kind of got so maybe he didn't get distracted by all of that
2: mm, i don't honestly i don't know i'm not sure um. Yeah, maybe he's had to kind of keep working a bit harder. Possibly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I mean, I love the Stones. Though, you know, but both me and Anne, they're probably our favourite band, but they haven't really done anything very good for yeah. 25, 30 years, really. I mean, it's 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 some of it's okay.
2: Yeah. The Stones don't have a songwriter in the band, like Ray. Mm. You know, and it's less what they're about. Um, and this, there's obviously something about the combination of probably Mick and Keith, which means that they can kind of strike gold. Um, but you kind of get the feeling that neither of them ever kind of walked in to the studio with a finished song mm. and went, I've got this you know. Yeah. It, it it sort of feels like it was always a band endeavour to write a song. And the magic was um about the the two of them probably. Yeah. Um and you know, and obviously the thing about that is um it's kinda of like we'll be dramatically affected by their relationship. <laughs> Yes. Um, Whereas I think someone like Ray goes away, writes an amazing song, comes back, plays it to everybody.
1: At this point, I I should tell you that um, you've cost me many thousands of pounds. Because when you came to the guitar show, I was going to say a couple of years ago, three years ago, and you played through your Lazy J amps, um, I ended up having to sell all of my amps and purchase a J20 because it was the greatest oh sound I'd ever heard. Yeah. Are you still, are you still using the Lazy J's?
2: Yeah, I, yeah I, I do still use them. I've got other things as well, um, but I still have them and I still use them and I still love them. Yeah.
1: It was funny because we had the, um, the the year after you performed, I had Bernard Butler at the show. Who came and did the same sort of thing as you did, but and he right. bought his Lazy right. J's as well. was <laughs> like they're just the most right. glorious, glorious amps. I love them.
2: There's loads of amazing amplifiers and pedals and guitars and everything out there, and pretty much everyone making them are really good at what they do, mm. and the kind of key. Is finding someone that sort of has the same ears as you, you know? Yeah. It, it, most people, um, like <clears throat> I, I guess that kind of sort of. I, I mean, I don't know. I know nothing about it, but Jesse's skill—it's not the, sort of the technical soldering, is it? It's it's how he hears things. Yeah. Um. And. I think when you find someone that makes stuff um, you and you kind of hear and like the same things, you're probably going to like everything they make. Yeah. And I, there's I'm like that with um, Analog Man pedals as well. I, 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 everything he makes. I love. Yeah. And and, I th- and that's got to be because he's trying to make we we, we've got the same reference points or whatever it is Hmm. you know we're into the what we think the same things are good yeah yeah um and other people won't or they'll have a slightly different you know
1: yeah i mean i i I assume that i kind of um sort of really honed in a because I, i love the temperance movement because because of the faces, because of the stones, it just kind of was like, ah, that's the sound I've been looking for. And I'd been kind of like flapping around for years with amps. Got a million guitars yeah. and only tended to have like a couple of amps. And it was like, I never really got one that honed in on what I was hearing until I heard yours. Yeah. Well, the
2: other thing is about about it, and, um, you know, to get a bit more geeky, um, all those... um guitar sounds that you are talking about that you love were were probably 100 watt marshals Mm. (laughs) um and that you can't do that anymore no and you are never gonna get a 100 watt marshall anywhere near the zone where it needs to be to sound like that and even playing in arenas i can't get a 100 watt marshall into the zone yeah f- to sound like that so you've got to, you've got to find something that kind of gives you that um at, at, a, at a reasonable volume basically and i think you know people get really kind of bogged down in um y- the sort of intricacies of um the front end of a plexi versus the front end of an ac30 or you know what i mean yeah yeah but i kind of i kind of think that it's it's you can look at it and and most people will get closer to where they want to be if you think in much broader strokes than that and the first one is volume because um Uh, if you if you can't use the amp at the volume at which it sounds best it doesn't matter how good it is Mm. because you're never getting anywhere near it sounding as good as it can um and then i think that you know the Mm. amount of sort of compression that the amp has is quite is like really sort of crucial Mm. to if you like it or not um so, you know, the f- kind of fine tuning of how much top end it's got or whatever, you can kind of fiddle with that. Or if you really have to, you can use a pedal to kind of get it where you need mm. it. But, um, you, the, the most, the, the most important things are kind of, being able to use whatever it is in its sort of sweet spot yeah i suppose are you still which is why the two lasers always worked
1: really well for me yeah are you still playing the greco as well
2: um i've still got it um i'm not playing it as much i i i got did i have that with me that yeah yeah.
1: you bought the greco and the Tele tele custom
2: yeah So I'm a tell, like, I've always played tellies and that will always be my sort of go to Mm. guitar. Um, and I suppose to have a different flavour, I love, I love, I love 335s and, um, you know, I sort of, I I kind of think of telecasters as like, that's my voice, you know, and, um, playing something else is me assuming a character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, which sometimes you want to do. And sometimes you want to sound, n- n- you know, different. And um, so I've still got the Greco, but I've also got an old 345. Nice. Um, which um, I'm kind of using as well. I think like that I went through a lot of vintage three, um, fives. And I couldn't really find one with the right balance of um, l- me loving it enough to make me feel like the investment was worth it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the, that's why the Greco always stuck around. And in the end, I just kind of said, well, I'm, I'm going to just, this is going to be my 335. I don't really know why I'm messing about Mm. um but then i um i had an old i had a 63 strap which had been refinished and stuff and someone asked if i wanted to trade it for this 345 which i did and it's the right kind of you know it's had a couple of changes Mm. so it's and and it's a 345 which are a bit cheaper anyway so I can kind of use it and and tour it. Yeah. With that, And not feel guilty about it.
1: Yeah. Though is not that's what Chuck Berry used to play, wasn't it? A three, four, five. Mm. I think in reality, I know everybody thinks it was a three three five, but it wasn't, was it?
2: Uh, either a three, four, five or a three five five. Mm. Um Yeah, I mean they're 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 the same guitar, basically, with a um with with a Veritone, in
1: very and it's got the split parallelogram markers exactly yeah
2: Yeah, the inlays are different yeah um but the main mainly it's the um the Veritone and stuff but to be honest like um i'm probably gonna take the Veritone out of it and that's another reason why i quite like this one because i can kind of mess about with it a bit without feeling like i'm destroying
1: history (laughs) <laughs> so um so what's what's next for you are you are you back out with um, james or yeah
2: so i've been pretty busy with james over the last couple of weeks um do it uh doing some promo he re- he's released a greatest hits album today um and it's got four new tunes on it um which i played on from home during lockdown but With some very frantic FaceTime (laughs) action with James and um, So all this week we've been doing promo for the record Um, And there's a bit more to do before Christmas Um, And then next year Definitely for the first half of the year I'll, well, fingers crossed If everything can go ahead as planned I'll be touring with James for the first half of the year.
1: Is he as funny as his social media would let on?
2: He's, yeah, he's he's um, he's kind of exactly what you'd think he, he he is from all that stuff. He is that person.
1: Oh, good. I'm glad.
2: I'm glad it's you know you know his kind of you know his kind of line of whenever anyone gives him any stick about his music mm. or whatever his his kind of you know response is always some version of well i'm rich and happy so who cares <laughs> uh, and and that and that is that that's what that is really what he thinks
1: good good for him <laughs>
2: <laughs> it, 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 it's actually like so many artists are sort of racked with um kind of uh What's the word? You know, Hmm. self-doubt. Which, you know, I think that's another topic. But I kind of think that that sort of trait um, is actually what makes a lot of people really good at what they do. Hmm. Um, But but James is just like a very straightforward guy. And it's kind of nice to be around, you know, because... There's never, there's never extra stuff going on. You're not, you're never having to read between the lines.
1: Yeah, I wonder whether you know because he served in Bosnia, didn't he? I think that was mm-hmm. the. I wonder whether when you've actually been to war, music just is kind of like this is fun. Do you, do, do you know what I mean? It's kind of like I've seen life or death, I, and this I, isn't. I it.
2: think, I think, I I don't know if that is the reason why he's like that, but, but he is like that. He, he's kind of, you know, and, and it's true. So many people, um, kind of moan about the downsides of being on tour, which, you know, everyone's allowed their five minutes if they're really tired or really missing their kids or whatever it Mm. may be, you know? Um, but you can do some some things and and uh the the kind of moaning is almost like a sport and uh and yeah he he's kind of not not only does he not kind of um complain or moan or you know or take anything too seriously he also works really really hard Mm. and when you're um That's nice to be around as well, because it's not much fun being on tour with people when you don't, when you feel like they don't really care about what they're doing very much, you know, because it's just, you you really want the artist that you're playing for to kind of be banging the drum and leading everybody. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's their thing that you're out there facilitating And um, it's much more enjoyable if it feels like they really care about it and they're prepared to work really hard and, you know. Um, And and kind of like to go full circle, that's kind of why Temperance Movement started is because everyone was doing a lot of playing for people and contributing an awful lot to things that... At the end of the day weren't theirs, yeah, um, and we were kind of just like, why why don't we do something where we put all this heart and soul into our own music um so yeah, um but you know he J- james does does care and he does work hard, and that's kind of like I think that's why he's still around and hasn't sort of disappeared. Into oblivion, like so many people do, is because really, you're just sort of a grafter.
1: Yeah, I think people forget actually, it is a job, and you just have to do it like every yeah. other job.
2: Yeah, and it's much. It's also it's much more um, rewarding when you put the work in, because mm. you know, like the the only I, I've sort of been fortunate to play. For a long time, I've been touring and playing gigs for a long time, and I've played all sizes of gigs, and so um, no no size of gig or situation makes me nervous. Like because people are often like, "Weren't you? Aren't you nervous?" Mm. You know, when you're going on at a big festival or when, say, opening for the Stones or whatever it may be, and it do- that doesn't make me nervous. But but what the only times. i might get nervous is if i kind of know that i'm Mm. underprepared yeah and so if you don't put the work into what you're doing you can't enjoy it as much as you know going out there knowing you're all over what what you need to do and you're kind of at the at the top of your game or as or as close to it as you can be, and and then you can go out and really have a good time and really enjoy it, and you get a lot more out of it. Yeah,
1: cool. Um, I'm out of questions now, Ant. have you got any?
0: Well, I was actually thinking that's a that was a really nice place to stop. It was almost the uh, that was almost the kind of nine o'clock news <laughs> little um, <laughs> tagline, wasn't it? It was that it was the. Uh, the audio money shot, shall we say? <laughs> cool. Um, so, uh, Paul, thank you very much. Pleasure. Uh, nice for your, to chat. For your time has it's been—it's been absolutely fascinating. We've covered far more than I thought we'd we'd get through. To be honest, um, you know, we, we, there's, a, there's, there's a real lot packed into that. Cool. So it's—it's. Uh, it's, I'm sure it's going to be something that people are really going to uh, take a lot from. Uh, and good luck. Obviously, hopefully, you can get out. You know, next year, and, and, and that, that tour is not broken up, and you don't have to make a decision out whether you bring your I shoes back or not.
2: <laughs> we'll definitely do some of it. I just hope we can do all of it, but, you know, we'll do some of it at
1: least.
0: <laughs> Maybe a second pair of shoes. Maybe, you know, Christmas is <laughs> coming. Maybe a second pairs pair of shoes, shoes shouldn't
1: I? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much for uh, agreeing to do this, and it's been nice to see you again, and um, hopefully we'll see you at the guitar show again in the future
2: yeah definitely thanks guys nice to chat to you
0: thanks for listening to 9 to 42 the podcast from the team at the Guitar Show UK if you've enjoyed the show then please remember to hit the subscribe button and share with other like-minded souls for more information about 9 to 42 please follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at the Guitar Show UK this has been an A Short Stories production